verse 1 of chapter 2. How awkward this scene would have been. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in the days in Judea in the days of King Herod, wise men or magi or guys from the east, they arrive unexpectedly in Jerusalem and they say, where is that uh, king of the Jews person who's being born? <laughs> you can see how awkward that is. These out-of-town guests, these supposedly wise men, really acting anything but wise right now, turn up unannounced, culturally sticking out like a sore thumb, unfiltered in their language. They kind of go into the town. Where is this one that's going to be born, king of the Jews? And you can kind of imagine the locals coming up quickly, surrounding these wise men, saying, I would keep my mouth shut if I was you. Don't say anything, right? But, of course, it was too late. It was too late. King Herod had got the news. Verse 3, he heard this, and he was greatly disturbed, and all of Jerusalem with him, because King Herod was disturbed. That meant the whole of Jerusalem was disturbed as well, because now King Herod could do anything. He's really on edge. Now, King Herod, being a Jewish ruler, he knew his Old Testament fairly well. He knew something about this idea of a long-promised king, often called a messiah, or a Christ. He knew something about this. So he gathers up the professors, the gurus, the kind of academics of the time, the people who really knew their Old Testaments. He says, can you sort of work out if you can tell me where this king that these guys are talking about, where he's meant to be born? And so these chief priests, these scribes who know their Bibles better than the king, they kind of look at this Old Testament prophecy from a book called Micah, and they determine, actually, you know, this king's going to be born in Bethlehem. So, King Herod, a very experienced in this kind of art of guarding his throne, a bit of deception, he sneakily invites these out-of-town guests, these international guests, these wise men, to come to him, and he tries to get them to help him pin down the location, the exact location where this king is going to be born. He hopes maybe that these wise men don't know his reputation. Maybe he thinks... Maybe he thinks that they'll believe him as genuine when he says, please go and uh, search carefully for the child. When you find him, report back to me so that I too can go and worship him. Now you can imagine if any of the locals behind are hearing this, we get right as if, you know. It can kind of, it's that kind of this ridiculous thing. But he sends these guys out, these wise men, to search for the baby. And this star that they've seen earlier suddenly appears again over the exact place where the child was. And we read these wise men, they were absolutely delighted. It says here, overjoyed beyond measure. They were certainly enjoying Christmas, weren't they? They were enjoying Christmas beyond measure. They open the door, they see the child, his mother Mary, they drop to their knees and they worship this little baby. And so these guests from the east, we don't know much about, they drop to, their, drop to their knees in spontaneous worship and they exchange some gifts of gold, frankincense and myrrh. Now gold's a pretty obvious gift, probably as valuable today as it was back then. Did anyone get gold today? No? Okay, don't, don't, you don't have to admit that. But if you got gold, you'd probably be happy. I don't know how happy you'd be if you got frankincense and myrrh. A little bit more obscure. Uh, frankincense and myrrh actually was associated with the treatment and preparation of dead bodies, like mummies and stuff like that. So who knows what motivated these guests, these wise men, to bring frankincense and myrrh to help prepare this newborn king for his death. It seems a bit strange. Maybe they knew something that we don't know at the time. 
Maybe, who knows? But here's what happens. We discover that Herod's plan of tricking these wise men has failed. And so they're warned in a dream not to go back the same way and they go all the way home. And a little bit later, we hear that Herod was so enraged that he... that. Not only that, that he didn't find this newborn king, but also that these wise men had outwitted him. He really, really loses it. He, he's so desperate to make sure no one will take control of his throne. He tries to get rid of all the babies under the age of two in Bethlehem. That's how desperate he is. Pretty dark, hey? King Herod was someone in the Bible who clearly didn't really enjoy Christmas very much, right? pretty obvious okay he really didn't like the idea that there'll be a king that would be born king herod's not a particular particularly popular personality at christmas time uh how many people have king herod decorations on their tree no okay maybe there's a, a rare item we could put up on ebay one time king herod decorations now king herod's actions when you look at them they seem quite ridiculously kind of over the top, this kind of, it's almost like the classic villain, the classic pantomime villain, and it's sometimes tempting just to write off King Herod as just the classic bad guy. But I think it'd be very, very foolish to write him off. You see, with King Herod, as extreme as he is, he actually shows us what's inside each one of us when we're unable to find genuine joy in the events described at Christmas. See, King Herod didn't share the joy that the wise men of the East shared because he lacked genuine humility before this new king. Now, sometimes when we talk about humility, we can just sometimes talk about it being modest, don't show off too much, don't boast. But in this context, genuine humility before a king like Jesus is a genuine sense of our unworthiness before him. And that's what these wise men had, despite their wealth and maybe their insights and their wisdom, wherever they came from, they've travelled a long way with stuff of great value to themselves and they just drop it all at the feet of Jesus. They know exactly the worth, their worth compared to this king. They don't know all the details. They don't know a lot about the whole backstory, but they know enough to say that this king that's been born in Bethlehem is more important than them, far more valuable than all the gold and frankincense and myrrh. They're worth traveling cross-country, cross-culturally to go visit and worship. And King Herod, of course, he's the opposite, isn't he? He is terrified of giving up any control over his life. He didn't want to cede rule over his life to anyone, no matter how worthy they might appear, no matter what prophecies had been written now i think if we're honest we might know something of what it's like to not want to give up any control over our life i think we know a little bit of that and the events of jesus birth you see depending on how you view yourself and how you view jesus could either be the best gift that you've ever been given or possibly one of the more offensive gifts you've ever been given let me give you an example now imagine i've tried to kind of aid with a few of um, some props here some imagination imagine if this morning i received two books for me written and given to me by my family the first book written by my kids 
is this one. How to fix bad dad jokes by the Woodhouse kids. Let's get that one there. All right, that's the book number one. The second book I was given, I opened up. Oh, thank you, kids. This is called How Luke Can Be Unselfish. <laughs> Wonderful. Thanks so much, right? Now, what do I need to receive these two books as great gifts? I need some level of humility, right? I need to at least be convinced that my dad jokes need some level of fixing. If I don't, they can go out. I need to somehow think I actually might be a little bit selfish and they might have something to teach me. Otherwise, this is a quite an offensive gift, isn't it? Right? Did someone cheer? Max, Heidi? No? Okay, right. Now, this is the thing, right, with the gift of Jesus at Christmas time. It can only be one of two things, right? I'm going to say maybe one of three things. The first, the, the, one of them is it can be completely irrelevant. If you think these events are fictitious and fictional and they're just made up, and then it will kind of probably be a bit irrelevant to you. But my, most people who go down that way, they often do it without actually really looking at the history and the historical reliability of gospel accounts. If that's you, I would really encourage you to check out the historical reliability of the gospels because there's a lot at stake if you just write them off as made up. Because certainly the gospel writers don't treat them that way. But let's imagine you take these events as true events in history. Really one of two ways you could have this. These events of the gift of the birth of the new king who offers salvation to be saving our sins. It's like saying the new king saving sins. You go, get lost? You've got to be kidding. Or... It's the best gift you could ever receive. Now, I don't know where you are like at this time, this Christmas day. But here is week where I think if you want to enjoy Christmas today, which I think we all do, a very, very simple take-home message, don't be like Herod. Let go of your mini throne in life. Embrace the king. See that you need this king more than anything else in the world. And I think it's only when you get to this point with Jesus that you can truly have a merry Christmas. We're now going to hear a story of somebody who's had a bit of a journey uh, with God and getting to know God. And we're going to hear from Jackie, I think, via video.